Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 107 of the Chirps podcast from Birds on the Black. This is Alex Chrisafuli. As you know, normally Tara Wellman gives this introduction, but she is going to be out for a couple of weeks. And well, I should tell you why, if you don't know why, she is actually getting married soon. So big time congratulations to her. But she is out today, and I am welcomed, though, by Daniel Shoptoff otherwise known as C70 at the bat. Daniel, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm glad to step into Tara's shoes for a little bit. And uh, I know later on you're going to return the favor for Gateway. So uh, it's good to get this whole thing going as we try to figure out how do we do life without Tara. (laughs) Well, I I don't know if anyone listened to Tara and I last week, but she teased a big guest or a guest. Mm -hmm. And that guest was actually not you. No, um, no, and not no. that you aren't a good guest, but we were supposed to have uh, Benjamin Hockman on uh, this evening to talk about his uh, his new book, which I am very much looking forward to reading. But he had to go to Colorado uh, kind of at the last minute to cover the blues and uh, avalanche. Yes, Aval- avalanche yeah. series uh, for the NHL. Um, and so he couldn't make it. And so, Daniel, thank you so much for stepping in. And since we're talking about the blues, I got to say, one of the reasons why I like following you on Twitter is because you never tweet about the blues. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, you know, I'm not a blues fan. Uh, I'm a huge Cardinals fan, obviously, but not a blues fan. And obviously, if you follow a lot of Cardinals accounts, you're going to get a lot of blues uh, tweets as well. So it's nice to... I appreciate this time of year those accounts that aren't constantly tweeting about the blues. And and believe me, absolutely nothing wrong with that. I'm sure when I'm tweeting about like the fighting Illini or whatever, like that's that's not much fun for anyone else. But uh, yeah, and, it, and I, I don't know if you noticed this, Daniel, but my knowledge of how the blues season was going was strictly relegated to Twitter. So I just assumed oh, yeah. they were awful. <laughs> but apparently they're in the playoffs. But my Twitter feed tells me they are awful every night. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's kind of. It's uh, between the Blues. You know, back when they, you know, the Rams were there. The only way I found anything about them was Twitter. Uh, Missouri sports. Um, but yeah, it always seems like the, the teams are always terrible until they're in the playoffs and then everything's great. So, um, which I guess is somewhat a Cardinal Twitter too, you know, um, you know, except yeah, we just have a little bit of better idea of the team. Like it's so much easier to rant and rave about your team versus I guess celebrate your team. Is that true? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I, I do also know from talking to another friend who's really into the blues that I think the blues were actually kind of painful this year, but yeah, and they got in like like a seventh seat or something, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So so they so. weren't as you know, they, you know, they won the cup what two two seasons ago. So mm-hmm. obviously they're, they're not of that caliber, I assume. So yeah. perhaps all the hand wringing has been has been warranted. Yeah. But I don't think anyone, um, you know, no one follows us on Twitter to hear about the blues. Hopefully otherwise, not. No. Otherwise they never would. And <laughs> no one's listening right now to hear about the blues. So we should probably talk about the Cardinals who are currently in the uh, top of the fifth in their game against Pittsburgh. First game of this two game series uh, in St. Louis. And they are up five, nothing on the strength of some Nolan, Ar- uh, Nolan, Ar- another Nolan Arnato uh, two run Homer. And uh, they also put together uh, a few more runs in the second, third inning as well. Um, it's been nice to see, obviously. Uh, it's what you want to see when you're playing a team like Pittsburgh, but it's also what we needed following that series in San Diego. And I wanted to ask you, what was your level of concern as that series ended? Because I obviously was not feeling good about it, but I, I'm kind of going back and forth of huge deal, not a big deal. And so I'm kind of curious how, kind of how you see it. It felt like a big deal, but I'm not 100% sure it was. Um, I mean, one, especially because we are Twitter people and things like, we always live in the moment. And, you know, as soon as the Cardinals lose two or three games where, you know, things are terrible and they win a couple games when things are better. But um, 
you know, when you look at it, they got swept, but they really kind of handed the Padres a couple of those games. Um, it's concerning that when they step up in class, and I, I feel like, you know, they played well against Milwaukee before that, which was a, a better than the the Reds, the Pirates, and people that they've been seeing. But they stepped it to, to San Diego, which even with people out, still a very good team. Um, so to lose all three was bad. But like I said, if they could throw strikes, you know, there's a really good chance that I think they win Sunday at least and possibly, probably, possibly Friday. Um, and then I think just even one win out of that, you feel a lot better about that series. Absolutely, especially following the Milwaukee series, like you said, where they probably could have lost two of those games. Mm-hmm. Um, they probably should have lost two of three instead of winning two of three. Um, and let's also take into account that the Padres are a very good team. They might not win the division because they are stuck in a division with the biggest juggernaut in baseball, but Fangraphs has them still at a 95% chance of making the playoffs. Um Another reason why it'd be nice for the Cardinals to win the division, because that probably wouldn't be a fun team to play in the, you know, a random winner take all game. Uh, yeah, it should we, be also noted that, that juggernaut is like sitting in third right now, too, because the Giants <laughs> yeah, are some They sort are, of, but I feel pretty confident that yeah. when the smoke clears, they they will be there. Now, now whether the Padres that seemed really high for the Padres, I thought, to have them at ninety four percent chance of making the playoffs at this point with with the Giants playing pretty well so far and you know with obviously the Dodgers in their division as well. But I still feel confident that the Dodgers will, um, you know, uh, end the season. What would that be their ninth straight division title? If I, if I'm counting correctly, oh, maybe uh, 10th. Well, I think it started in 2013. Yeah. Cause okay. Gi- giants won in 2012 and oh, went, yeah, on, yeah. went on to win the world series. And so, yeah, started in 2013. So yes, this would be their ninth straight okay. year. Um, and we can maybe talk about them later if we want to talk a little bit about Albert. But anyway, the Padres are good, so there's no shame in losing to the Padres on the road. But it's like you said, it's the way they lost, handing them two games and then kind of just getting crushed in the other that made it such a deflating series. And by handing them games, meaning just giving them free pass after free pass, which actually led to a quote from John Mozalik, which I thought was kind of out of character for him, where he was, he said some of the effect of like, I forget what the question was, but something to like, you know, what does this team need right now? And he basically said they need to throw strikes. Um, yeah. That was more of a uh, critique of the current teams that I'm used to seeing from Mosaic. Um, it, even, fairness, even though it's so obvious. <laughs> yeah, it, it just depends on when you catch Mo. I still remember, I think it was the first or second blogger day that we had. And we're asking him questions and it was back when, I think it was Ty Wigington uh, was... And he said, basically, you know, something to the effect that he'd feel better when Wigington was hitting his daughter's weight, um, like Mo's daughter's weight. And I was, you know, that was a little bit of a, of a That's cut a weird comment. Too. Yeah. Wait, 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 his comment, his daughter's weight or Ty Wigington's? I hope uh, his da- okay, Mo's okay. daughter's weight. I mean, it's a, re- it's a, it's probably a comment that doesn't need to be made regardless. It's a little better, I guess, if it's his own daughter. Let me ask you this. What is... What is your feel for Mosaic? Um, and I, and you, maybe you didn't get one. And maybe he comes off at those events just like he does on, on television. But I'm curious if you could get even more of a feel for him at something like a, the blogger event. Does he open up more? Do you see more personality? And I'm not, not that he has a bad personality or anything like that, but, you know, he's very, he's very much like a politician. He knows exactly yeah. what he's saying at all times and he knows how to answer questions. He's very, very good at that. He's still like that at the blogger days, but I, I would say he's a little bit more personable. Okay. Um, it's maybe a little bit of what you see with him and Jim Hayes at times, you know, where mm-hmm. it's a little bit of that, you know, teasing or dry humor that he's got. It's a little bit more of that. It always seems like somehow he busts on my question um, when I'm asking it or even before I've asked it. It's, um, it's probably because you're the one responsible for having a blogger day in the first place. I, possibly. I, I so, I, so he's taking that out on you that he has to be there for it. Yeah. I remember the, I think it was 19 the last time we were there, of course, because we didn't get to do it last year. Um, but my question was actually for build with the third and Kyle came up to me la- afterwards. He said, 
Mo was so disappointed he didn't get your question because he didn't get to to bust on you. And I was like, yeah, that, that's probably fair. But you know, he, it's he's personable. I think even more so because I think we do have that idea of him being you know slightly robotic and very politician and saying the arbitrage and all that kind of stuff. Um, but he's got that that dry wit that I think comes out in some more of those situations than the formal, you know, Derek Gould press conference type things. Okay. Well, I was just curious because he, he's such a, I don't know, such a fascinating personality. Mm-hmm. I, I think the way I described him earlier is how he is, which is he's very much a politician. Like he would be a good politician with the way he answers questions. But anyway, I guess back to the topic at hand, the, the, the walks, obviously, huge problem. I think most people probably saw the tweet or at least could guess that this is the case, that the Cardinals lead all of baseball um, in walk rate. They're, they're walking close to 12% of batters, which is terrible. Um, and, I, and I'm talking about both the starters and relievers. Um, I, I don't know if it's fair for Mike Maddox to – get the brunt of this, but Mm -hmm. I don't know why he wouldn't. Um, I I mean, you know, it's, we've been complaining about hitting coaches for years. Right. Uh, Mabry, we we complain about Albert right now. And look, if you're, if your team's not going to hit, if your team's not hitting, the fans are going to be, are going to take it out on the hitting coach. That's just kind of like the nature of the job. And I think that should be the case for the pitching coach as well. I have no idea if Mike Maddox is a good pitching coach. I obviously he has a pedigree that says he is. He's he's been around forever. He's been with a lot of teams. Um, he he certainly has the right experience. I don't know if this is his fault, but when Mosaic made that comment, I almost and and this could be reading too much into it. I almost felt like that was like a you know. Not a not a warning shot, but just like yeah, I'm I'm also paying attention to this, and I'm not mm-hmm. pleased about it. Yeah, it may be. I think the difference with Maddox is the fact, and I agree to some degree that he, you know he should come into for some some credit or blame, just like Jeff Albert is. Because again, how much do we really know about what coaches do? We just tend to blame them or, or give them credit for things. But the difference is for Maddox is that he came in and he's been successful here. And now it's a step down versus Albert, who seems to have struggled, you know, or at least the results have shown that he struggled the whole time that he's been here. In fact, this year may be the best year we've seen at ha- what happens when you add a, you know, slugging third baseman to your mix. Um, and we don't talk about Jeff Albert quite as much anymore. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if he, you know, it's a goodwill gets built up and he has a little bit of, of time to burn that down. Or if pitchers are just, if we as fans put more blame on a pitcher being able to throw pitches than we do a hitter having the right approach at the plate. I don't know. Well, I don't feel it's sustainable if you want this team to win 90 games, if you no, want the team no. to win the division. And, he, you know, maybe it is. You know, it's not like they have some crazy lucky uh, strand rate. It's not like they're they're – they're uh, like stranding runners at like an 85% clip or something like that. I think they're right at league average, like right around like 72 or 73%. So it's not like we have this like huge regression in that, in, in that, um, I guess area, just waiting to waiting to come. And then the team's going to crater. Uh, but still you can't do that against good teams. And the Padres showed you why, and we're not going to play the Padres. I mean, excuse me, we're not going to play the Pirates every, (laughs) every week. And it just seems, I'm I'm trying to think the best way to put this. And, And I think someone made this comment during the game on Sunday, which is we took out KK because he couldn't, he, uh, very uncharacteristic, uncharacteristically could not find the plate. And Mm -hmm. I believe walks, he walked two hitters, right, with the bases loaded. Yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah, and we brought in uh, Hen- Henesis Cabrera, which is just like, 
well, that's one way to live. <laughs> guess, yeah. you know, yeah. if, if you want to, um, you know, transition from a guy who can't throw strikes to Henesis Cabrera, then, you know, buckle up and let's see what happens. Uh, that's uh, that, that the old, the old Austin power me. I too like to live dangerously. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, but alternatively, who else do you bring in there? It's, we don't have a lot of guys, you know, I, I don't remember what, what Gallegos's usage was at that point. Maybe you can yeah. remind me, um, you're usually very good at remembering kind of those short-term uh, things of what was going on just a day or two ago. So, but but the bottom line is, yeah. Hennessy's career is not the only one on this team who can't throw strikes. And so eventually they're going to have to figure this out because I just don't think it's 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 something they're going to be able to live with and still win this division. No. And I will say, you know, Cabrera has pitched, I think, without looking for sure, but I remember seeing some stats ever since the, the hit, the you yeah. know, hit Harper and hit Gregarious. He's, he's thrown more strikes. So maybe that had something to play into it. That's fair. Um, and, and if I recall, he wasn't that bad when he gave up what that double, but he, he didn't look that bad when he, yeah, at least sec, in terms of sec fly and yeah, double, I think, but yeah, he wasn't too bad. Um, it's interesting when you said that about strand rate, that made me go look. Because I'm like, how are they stranding about the league average when they're walking so many batters? They're not giving up hits. I mean, they're 23rd in the MLB and uh, giving up hits, which is weird. I mean, right? I mean, this defense is good. So yeah. let them that, hit the ball and it's going to get caught. It, yeah. But for some reason, they don't do that. Well, and and that is good, especially for a team that, you know, they're – this pitching stats, peripheral stats are not good. Uh, mm-hmm. We mentioned the walks, but they don't strike out a lot of guys either. And right. that's not the biggest of deals when you have a good defense like this, which they do. So um, I guess that kind of explains, explains that it just, it's, it's just a frustrating brand of baseball to watch, not only because it often results in something bad happening, but also it just slows the game down. Yeah. And it, it, leads to a lot of stops in action and yeah it's just not cool well and i mean like you said if 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 people are hitting if they're getting two or three hits an inning it's frustrating as it is but at least you know there's something going on you're at least giving the fielders a chance hopefully to make a play um but when they're walking people like that yeah you put a couple guys on and all it takes is one hit and you know all of a sudden the game can be broken open and the other team really hadn't done that much except to take pitches. Um, and that's even worse. I mean, you know, I've written about it a couple of times, but you know, Alex Reyes is almost a coin flip now, whether he's going to throw a ball or a strike. I mean, he's, his, you know, his rates are right around 55% throwing strikes. And, you know, when that's your guy, that's, that's supposed to be coming into one or two run games. Um, you know, all it takes is it does not take much for a game to get out of hand in that regard. He's been, lucky i don't know if that's right i mean he's obviously got the skills to get out of some of those things and he's you know been able to lock down saves um just while killing the fans (laughs) in the process but i don't know how long that i mean that's gonna come back to haunt them eventually right oh it has to i mean does does he still have a uh I, i missed a lot of the first two games this weekend does he still have a zero era no, he's got a. I think it's a zero four seven. I think he, he allowed a run somewhere along the way. Okay. Um, but, but but obviously, if, if you're yeah. not throwing strikes, that's not going to last too long. And and I, I think the concerning thing there is that's always been an issue with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, even when he was like the second or top prospect in baseball, if you're reading, you know, his little blurb, whether it's in the prospectus annual at the time or I'm I'm sure on Baseball America, it always mentioned the walks it always mentioned his command that you know right. this is something he needs to to master but beyond that his stuff is absolutely filthy yeah and and i know that kyle has talked about in the past like in the minors his stuff moved so much that there were strikes that were being called balls just because umpires couldn't handle it um, and, and probably the catcher as well which wasn't right. helping the umpire right and I, i'm sure there's some of that i know that one of those games recently um he had a guy struck out that the umpire just completely missed it. And I'm sure there's some of that that happens, but it's not all of it. I mean, there's, you know, you watch the games and it's not that he's ain't it or anything, but he's not, it's not that questionable when he's getting ball balls to strike called. Well, I, I think the good news is they are currently being the pirates five, nothing. 
um, right. in, in the top of the six. And John Gant is is pitching, who has not been good this year. Uh, just he is, I guess, um, uh, exhibit A in terms of this unacceptable walk rate. Mm-hmm. But if they can beat the Pirates, um, you know, if they can hold on to this lead, that's going to put them at ten and zero against four and zero against the Pirates. 3-0 against the Rockies, and 3-0 against the Marlins. And I'm lumping the Marlins in there, which probably isn't fair. I don't think the Marlins are as bad as the Rockies and Pirates. Yeah. In fact, I don't even know what the Marlins' record is. I know for a while they were like in fourth place in the NL East, yet they were the only team with a uh, positive run differential. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if uh, <laughs> if you hang tight, I'm going to look up to see what the Marlins are up. Oh, I got it. I got it right here in a okay. second. They are 16 and 22, 18 and 22, sorry, but they do have, they are the only team with the plus, they're plus five. They're fourth place with the plus five. The Mets still don't have a, a positive. Mets are minus eight. Phillies are minus seven. And the Braves, who are a half a game better than the Marlins, are minus 17, which is actually even worse than the last place Nationals. So the Braves might be, at least out of the gate, one of the most disappointing teams in baseball. Yeah. I, I mean, Twins, obviously, I think have that. Have that oh, yeah. down for now, but yeah, the Braves have to have to not feel great. But luckily, that division's a mess, so there's plenty of time to uh, turn that around. I think earlier this year, the Nationals in the span of six days went from last place to first place back to last place. So <laughs> it it doesn't take much to to mm-hmm. rebound in that division. But but my point is, you still. I can handle them losing to the Padres as long as they're beating up on the bad teams, and, right. and you, you know the only thing perhaps more frustrating than watching a team lose a game or a series to a team like the Padres because they're walking too many batters is when they're losing to teams they shouldn't lose to. And that hasn't happened this year. And, and that's a very good sign. Um, and the Wainwright star, I didn't see it. The one mm-hmm. against the Padres I'm talking about. I heard he kind of got Babbitt to death, that there was a lot of weak contact that was falling, but obviously he wasn't as sharp as he needs to be. Yeah, I mean, he gave care. up three home runs, too. So. Okay, well, well, there you go. Um, but I'm still not that concerned. You know, even mm-hmm. in recent years when he's had um, good to decent seasons, he's always had a few starts like that. In fact, I remember perhaps his worst start since he came back from his injury, the Achilles injury in 2015, was also probably in San Diego. Do you remember that start? Yeah, yeah the one yes. that we thought that he was going to retire after it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If that doesn't tell you something about the start, then I I, I don't know what does. So look, that's going to happen with Adam Wainwright, uh, a 39 year old Adam Wainwright or or whatever he is right now. Well, and and I think, honestly, I think Wainwright's been susceptible to that without looking it all up, but I feel like he's been susceptible to that his whole career. I mean, I mean, think Mm -hmm. about one of the biggest Cardinal moments is the 2012, you know, game five against the Nationals in part because Adam Wainwright put him in a six to nothing hole or whatever it was. I, wow. I just feels like he blows up every once in a while. He's still a very good pitcher though. I was at that game. Yeah, of course you were. Yeah. I bet, yeah. I bet, I bet you, uh, you were glad to stick around to the end, but you weren't sure you were going to be. It was the spookiest feeling walking out <laughs> of that stadium because it was so quiet. Um, and, uh, I, I don't want to sound, um, condescending I don't, I don't know if that's but you felt like a lot of that fan base hadn't wasn't prepared for a baseball gut punch like that like yeah. they didn't know they didn't they, they didn't weren't quite about. ready that that can totally happen you know the nationals mm-hmm. had only been in town at that point for like seven years six right. years seven years and that was the first time they'd been in the playoffs so in fact if i recall it's the first time they had a, a record over 500 since moving to to dc um I'm almost certain that's true. Uh, and so the crowd had no idea how to take that loss. Now, granted, I don't know how any other crowd takes that loss. Um, like I said, they were just eerily quiet and just totally spooked walking out of that stadium. Maybe that's how everyone is. But I just remember looking around and just seeing the most dejected, what just happened faces around me. But you're right. Uh, now, Wainwright had a pretty rough 2012 all around, if I recall. Like, it wasn't until 2013 where we thought, like, okay, this guy's back. And not only is he back, but he might be better than he was in 2009, even. Um, But you're exactly right. And, like, Wainwright is prone to those starts. Um, 
why that is. Maybe it's his his type of repertoire of a lot of curveballs, a lot of breaking balls, yeah. and if he's just not getting the right movement, then that's going to happen. I don't know, but yeah, I I guess my point though is I'm not that worried about Wainwright. I'm certainly mm-hmm. not worried about um, Jack Flaherty, and I, I I see even no reason to be worried about KK and even Carlos when he comes back, which should be it sounds like perhaps by this weekend. But I do think they need to figure out that fifth spot in the rotation. Um, every team has not an awesome pitcher at that fifth spot in the rotation. But I feel like this is, I don't beyond the pale. Like this is this is not. They need something better if they're going to compete for this division. Yeah, and, and may, I, may, maybe I'm even wrong there. Maybe maybe that's not maybe that's not exactly true. I would prefer them have something better. Let, let me just say that, and I think most people would. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, you could argue it. It just depends on how tight this division gets, right? I mean, if if the Brewers are for real, like they look like they are, then you don't want to go into your fifth starter games with, you know, it's worked so far, but the crash is coming. You know that, and you don't really want to. You want to kind of sell high um, and get get out of there before before that crash comes and. You know, Miles Michaelis and Carlos will probably be back this weekend or beginning of next week. And for a while, they're going to run that six-man rotation again. But once they get a chance to run five, you know, you've got solid arms that you can now take Gant and slide him back into the bullpen and maybe use him more judiciously. Um, so it's it's kind of this, you know, get through this next little bit and, and hope that nothing bad happens. And, and again, so far, you know, knock on wood, but again, I know that he's not Mr. Humphrey's favorite pitcher um, by the longest stretch. And I don't, I, you know, he's a very smart man. I understand that, but so far he, somehow he's gotten the job done and we'll take those wins. Um, and, and hopefully, like I said, you know, you just get out before the bubble bursts. Well, speaking of the, of the division, am, am I the only one, when I was talking with both Ben's on Cardinals Update podcast, Godar mentioned something about how he's expecting the Cubs to crater uh, kind of at any moment. I don't quite feel that way. I, I don't know what to make of the Cubs, but they still scare me. Mm-hmm. That offense still kind of intimidates me, and I, I'm not ready to dismiss them yet. Yeah, I'm kind of that way. I, I sent a message, or to Alan and I talked about it at some point in time between shows, and I kind of almost felt like the Cardinals had a chance to bury the Cubs, you know, when they started off, you know, where they couldn't hit, like, anything, and, and they were, were just absolutely terrible. And, and not that the Cardinals did anything wrong, but, you know, just didn't quite get pushed out far enough uh, from the Cubs, and they seem to have come back to turn. Now, again, you know, the Cubs trade off Cameron Mabrin today, which is not necessarily a big deal. But, you know, I also wonder what that point is for them where they need to be seriously in contention or they start entertaining offers. You know, if mm-hmm. if June 15th comes and they're five games out, is that when they start talking about, you know, Chris Bryant leaving or do they try to make that push? That's what's And this weekend may be a big step for that when the Cardinals play the Cubs. If the Cardinals can win two out of three, that might push the Cubs in a in a direction that is less scary. Well, if, if June 15th comes and the Cubs are five games out, or whenever that date comes and the Cubs are only five games out, and they see that as we, it's time we unload Chris Bryant, I don't care how much business sense that makes, mm-hmm. especially for, um, you might know better than I do where their farm system is. I don't think it's that awesome <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so but I, I know a few years ago it certainly was I've kind of lost a little bit of track uh, I don't care what kind of good business sense that makes that would infuriate me as a fan mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. one a division that is not it's not the most impossible division to win but also someone who's that important to the franchise I, I mean uh, of every player to come up and it seemed like for a while starting in 2014 there was a new one every week 
he was the most important, both kind of like symbolically and probably from just a wins loss standpoint. I mean, his, his 2016 season, I thought we were looking at someone who might be a top three, top five player in MLB going forward. And, and he may have been that had he not, what he had a, was it a shoulder injury and in, shoulder? That, yeah. 2018. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. Um, he just seems like a guy who who would mean a lot to that franchise in terms of the fans. And I, I think that would be just a, you know, I, I don't want to say final nail because the Cardinals could do a lot. And I don't think there would ever be a final nail for me to <laughs> be like, all right, I'm done with it. They would, they would probably have to move the team to another city or something. <laughs> I think, I guess that would be the final nail. They would have to be contracted. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's how, that's how much of a sucker fan I guess I am. Um, but that would be a pretty big blow to my fandom if I was a Cubs fan. And I would not be happy with the decision makers there because especially for the season he's having, and I guess that's perhaps one mindset, that's all the more reason to do it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, it's basically you're giving him, he, he'll be a rental and hopefully you can get some like maybe actual key pieces for him. And then who knows, maybe you can try to resign him. Although that's not what the Cubs seem to be building for right now, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I'm not claiming he's Albert Pujols or uh, is what Albert Pujols meant to us, but you have to find ways to hold on to those guys. Yeah, I think so. But you know, it feels like, the Cubs are pretty adamant about not, um, you know, whether it, and, you know, with, you know, also with what, with Rizzo and I think Bias also up this year, um, there's a lot of decisions to be made and, you know, I can't let them all walk. Um, and, you know, maybe they can try to sign somebody at the end of the year, but I feel like they're going to try to trade somebody if they're now again, Hopefully they're like 15 games out and we, you know, this discussion is kind of moot as they start selling pieces off. Um, but if there's, if it's borderline, I mean, it'd be interesting to see what they do because it does seem like the front office is ready to move on. And, you know, if there's three teams ahead of them and, and they're not necessarily close in the wild card, even if they're yeah. only five or six games out, maybe that's enough to, to push them over the edge. Well, the joke about them heading into the season is that their rotation was just going to be Kyle Hendricks and a bunch of very poor man's Kyle Hendricks. Like a lot of guys who don't <laughs> throw hard and aren't going to be striking out a lot of guys. Well, they currently, uh, counting both starters and relievers, have a higher strikeout rate than the Cardinals. <laughs> um, which, yeah. Whatever you want to say about that, I don't know. But... Uh, that is a fact. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I don't think I want to talk about that fact, really. So. Well, I, I, sh- I should probably note that I just uh, glanced over at the game, and I don't know how it happened. Okay, I'm about to find out right here. And um, the Pirates are now on the board with two runs. Mm-hmm. Um, it is now a 5-2 game. Um, Cabrera is in the game, and it looks like he just uh, someone hit a liner back to him, and it went off his glove. Uh, had he fielded it cleanly, it would have ended the inning. But the Pirates are still alive, runner on first, uh, 5-2 game, top of the six. So just to give you an update, which is kind of pointless because we're not live and uh, you will know the outcome of, the, of this game by the time you listen to this. But just wanted to give you an idea of where we are as, as we record this. The uh, yeah. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, yeah, it's always good to, in case something happens after that point, then we don't talk about it. You'll know why. <laughs> yeah. The, the, uh, you brought up the Cubs series this weekend. This will be the first time we have played the Cubs this year, which is, which is pretty late, you know, uh, mm-hmm. late May being the first series against the Cubs, which uh, I guess is good. It, it's going to, um, like, uh, meaning a lot of uh, series against the Cubs when we'll know a lot more about, you know, where these teams are. Uh, the games might matter a little bit more. Um, but I still am a little worried about the Cubs. Uh, mm-hmm. You don't seem to be as concerned as I do. Obviously, Ben Godar is definitely not as concerned as I am. But 
I don't know. There's something about them that still, maybe it's just, they have me um, shook just from, uh, I I still have like some PTSD from 2015 through 2000, I guess, 18. Um, But I'm still worried about them, but go ahead. Well, and there's no team you would, that would bother you more to have beat the Cardinals. This is what, you know, so there's always that fear of they're going to find a way to, if not beat the Cardinals, at least derail them from winning. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not concerned about them because I, I do think that that's a team that, you know, may click. But I also think people figured out how to hit Kyle Hendricks this year. And I, I'd yeah. like to know that secret. Hopefully the Cardinals can figure that out. <laughs> yeah, pass that along, please. Uh, <laughs> um that start, I think it was, I think it was 2019, uh, early in the season, at Wrigley, if I recall, where he pitched a Maddox against the Cardinals, meaning he a mm-hmm. complete game shutout and under 100 pitches, and you could see it happening by the second inning. <laughs> Do you remember that? You could just, it was one of those yeah. games where you're like, oh, I'm, I know what's happening here. We are not going to come close to touching this guy. And, and that's basically exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, so... I guess, yeah, he is a good kind of poster child for that team in general because even though he might not be at all what he used to be, he still has me scared, and apparently the Cubs do too. Um, But I think you would agree that Milwaukee's probably the biggest concern of all of this division. Yeah. And and entering today, the Cardinals had a two-game lead on Milwaukee. I'm not quite sure what they're doing right now. I can tell you the Cubs are knotted up with the Nats at, at three. Um, but entering today, the Cardinals had a two-game lead on Milwaukee, and but Milwaukee was still favored to win the division over the Cardinals. So we will certainly see what happens there. Yeah, Milwaukee and Kansas City are tied right now in the fifth with no score. Okay, come on, Mike, bring uh, you know <laughs> work some of your magic. Let that do what you can to to help out your old team. Um, and speaking of old old uh, acquaintances, um, do you have any thoughts on Pujols to the Dodgers? Um. The more you hear about it, the more it makes sense. Um, I also appreciated what Mosellock said today that basically they discussed it and it was just going to be a very limited role for him. And it sounds like he's going to play more in, in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have really liked to seen him to come back. And I think if Anaheim had released him in July or August, I think it's a better chance of the Cardinals picking him up for, you know, six weeks versus, you know, three quarters of the season yeah. um, to, to take him on the bench. But yeah, it's, it's almost like a missed opportunity, but I don't know that you can fault anybody. Yeah. I, I feel, I feel that same way. When you say, when you say it does look like he's going to play more, what do you think that looks like? Well, I mean, for the fact that they put him in a cleanup last night, <laughs> um, it's going to look a lot different than probably anything I expected. That, that reminded me of Schilt getting the job um, and then immediately inserting Fowler back in the lineup and batting Yachty, what, in the two-hole, in a two-spot, yeah. if I recall? Um, Something like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I, um, yeah, it was like, it's like, okay, you realize this is 2021 Albert Pujols, right? Not the Pujols that... But, um, I, You know, I figure he's going to... It does sound like he's going to play... What against left-handed bats? Um, I mean, I was thinking if he was in St. Louis, you're talking about at the maximum ten at bats a week. It sounds like you're looking at more like twenty to twenty-five out in LA. I mean, I'm not great at that, but that kind of feels like to me that that's kind of what you're, you know, at most. Because um, you know, it would be different if Paul Goldschmidt took a few days off, but he doesn't. So what else are you going to do? And he'll have a little bit more opportunity out there. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I, I hope he, I, I said this to the two Bens, but that really is a perfect place for him. If you look mm-hmm. at the way his career has gone, where he was a mainstay in the playoffs with the Cardinals. And now he's, he's at this time of his career where obviously he still cares about personal accomplishments. I think, I think seven home, 700 home runs means a lot to him, but yeah. I think mostly he just wants to be on that big stage again. And, there's no better place to do that than with the Dodgers. Now I'll ask you, he also says he feels like he's got a lot left in the tank. I, I was about to ask you this. So, but uh, that's why I get to it first. <laughs> okay. Um, 
assuming there is baseball next year, which is a fairly big assumption at this time, and assuming the DH comes to the National League, uh-huh. do you then bring him in to be a part-time DH, part-time bench guy, occasional first base guy, um, and let him have that farewell tour? Um, obviously, if there's a DH, that really changes things. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, he looks pretty old and feeble right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, just the way he, I mean, he, I, I feel like he's surviving right now in baseball because yeah, he can still hit lefties. Um, and he's a smart baseball player. Uh, uh, Joe Sheehan a couple weeks ago, I don't know if you subscribe to Joe's newsletter, but he kind of wrote about like this, this thing that Albert can still do where he, he basically stole, I think he stole third base mm-hmm. um, and, and he, and he did it just because he knew the pitch. He, he knew the pitcher so well, knew the pitcher wasn't going to be looking at him. And obviously I, I could probably throw Albert out um, trying to steal base if, if I'm the catcher and the pitcher knows it's coming, but you know, the pitcher didn't know it was coming and Albert stole the base because he's such an intelligent baseball player. And I think that's what he's getting by on. And, and that's, that is valuable, especially when you put him in a clubhouse with a lot of guys who could, you know, learn by osmosis from him. Um, obviously not everything you can learn from him. Um, he's not going to be able to teach you how to hit 700 home runs, but even like the, and I don't even know how unfair everything Anaheim said was, but all that notwithstanding, he's a great clubhouse guy. I, I think, mm. you know, for someone who's been around as long as he has, who's been in the spotlight as long as he has, and I really can't think of a two, you know, he he could be kind of cranky at times, kind of grumpy, but I can't think of a single story of him being any sort of a disruption in the clubhouse or any sort of problem uh well you couldn't say the same about a lot of other players who have been around as long as he has um and and i think that's valuable as well that said i would obviously love to see it um if he says he still has something left in the tank and he still says that i know i can be productive somewhere in this league i take his word for it on that um and so, sure, I would like to see that. Whether he actually comes back, I think, might depend on whether he actually has a suitor, and I don't know if he will, but it'll be it'll be pretty interesting to see. I mean, do, I, I do think he wants to hit that 700 mark, and man, so do I. I would really like yeah. to see him, him, yeah. him get that milestone. But I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Um, I have two questions for you, and then we're, we'll probably get on to the trip of the week because we're, we're getting up there in time. But... I want to ask you the same question you just asked me, but also second question, you started off by talking that it's a big if that if there is baseball next year because of labor issues and what percentage do you put on that? What percentage do you put on there actually being a possible um, work stoppage next year? Um, before I do that, I see that old friend Trayson Shreve has come in for the pirates. So that should be fun. Oh, all right. Um, uh, odds of I think on odds of the work stoppage are are fairly high. I think we saw how rancorous the um, negotiations were in the middle of a pandemic. Um, getting past that idea of decent, you know, what you would think of as decency and working together um, only adds to it. I don't know that we're going to wipe out a whole season. I, I don't think that they would do that. But I could easily see the the season not starting until June next year. I would probably wow. say there's a there's a, a sixty to seventy percent chance that spring training doesn't start on time. Let's put it that way. Um, is that in line with what you think? I don't know. Um, it it was um, I thought kind of a big obviously a big deal when we saw that the the issue that the players raised was it this week or last week about the fact that they believe the owners shortened the season last year on purpose mm-hmm. um obviously i think that's going to be a big deal um i hope it's not that high um 
but it seems like we've been building for this for a while and there's a lot of issues in baseball that just seem pretty unfriendly to the players. Um, yeah. Mostly talking about, since we were talking about Chris Bryant earlier, just the um, uh, the amount of contr- uh, team control, you know, the amount of years, how easy that is to manipulate, um, things like that, that, you know, that we've all been grumbling about for years now. Um, and that it's almost like a farce is how I would describe team control. Like, like to me, if, if someone qualifies, uh, if someone qualifies for a rookie status, then that count, that's a year. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't see how it isn't. Um, and, <laughs> and it seems like such an easy thing to fix, which is you just push that back to, to mid June. And because if you have that pushback to mid June, say you're the 2015 Cubs, you know you have a decent team. You know you have a good team that's going to be competing for the first time in about seven or eight years. There's no way you keep Chris Bryant down in Iowa while you have, what was it, Mike Olt who was playing third base for them? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah, for the first 10 days or or two weeks before he got called up. There's no way you can do that responsibly just to get another year out of him. And. Mm -hmm. And in that case, it's not even another year. Instead, it's just an additional three months almost. You know, it is another year when when you're talking about keeping a guy down for, uh, you know, two weeks, and then you can bring him up and have basically a full year out of him, and, but it doesn't count. That wouldn't be the case if they push that back. So that's what I would like to see them do there. And then we can stop pretending that this isn't what's happening. And if a guy is held down for whatever if a rookie is kept in the minors and we don't have to like think nefarious thing you know we can assume mm-hmm. that you're not going to keep a guy you know in memphis until mid-june if you think he's ready on opening day be, because that's just not a good way to run a ball club in my opinion and you know you you'd by that point only be buying yourself three months of extra of extra baseball and you're costing yourself you know pretty mightily for that season. Does that make sense? Do you, do oh, you absolutely. agree with that? I, yeah. I agree that there, that would work. That would help a lot. I mean, you see, I mean, well, we saw that this week, what Seattle brought up their top prospect after, you know, three weeks because, you know, it, in, in a spring training, it's like, Oh, people wouldn't, exp- you know, it made sense to send him down because he hadn't had a whole lot of experience in the minors and, you know, missed a lot of last year, blah, blah. But then, you know, as soon as you pass that date, it's like, Oh, okay, well that's fine. We can just make him learn at the big league level. You know that kind of stuff. I, it's it needs to be fixed for yeah. that, and and yeah. hopefully the players will. I'm, I'm sure that's what they're going to go to go to war over. Yeah, and it especially um, needs to be fixed because the remedy is so toothless. When you look at you know Chris Bryant actually filed um, a grievance, and everyone knew what happened. Everyone knew why it happened. And oh yeah, he, and he still lost. That because, was crazy because the burden is so. I don't know what this stated burden is to prove that or what, or even if you have to prove that, I I don't know what, I don't know how that works. I guess I should know more about like how that is decided or even who decides it, but everyone knew what was happening there. Mm -hmm. And, and I only bring up, I don't mean to pick on the Cubs. It's just Chris Bryant's the most famous recent one. Uh, Yeah. It's the most egregious one. But yeah, probably the most egregious one. And, but it still happens all the time and it has Mm -hmm. been happening for, for a while. And ironically, if they hadn't have done that, then he would have been a free agent this year and they would have been rid of him, you know, <laughs> right, when, they, yeah. when they were trying to trade for him. Yeah. So <laughs> that, that, that's well, a good point. I, um, <laughs> that, I, I guess I hadn't even thought about that, but yeah, that is exactly right. Yeah. So yeah, I little, guess they got their comeuppance there. I don't a know. Ba- a little um, bit of baseball karma because that seems to be. It, it also just seems a bad way to, and, and maybe I just have my head in the clouds of how a multi, uh, I guess, billion dollar business even works, but uh, yeah. it just seems like a bad way to build goodwill with with your employees, um, mm-hmm. especially one who could turn out to be a very, very good player, which was the case with him. Um but anyway, we've probably talked a little too much about Chris Bryant and the Cubs and all this, <laughs> but I, I do appreciate your input on that stuff because uh, I know you, you followed that stuff closely and probably have a better um, 
hand on the pulse than I do on that issue. Um, but I do want to go ahead and move to the chirp of the week. And as is typical, when I have a guest on, I outsource the chirp of the week so I can, I can take a break. And I did that again this week. You're always, um, you're always ready to do one. So I appreciate that. So what do you have for us? Well, it's, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's the command issues that we've had. And we've seen the Cardinals twice this year walk more than 10 men in a game or more than nine men, double digits in, in a game this weekend in San Diego being probably particularly egregious because they added you know, three batsmen in it. Not as bad as the game I saw in Springfield, uh, the Springfield Cardinals play this weekend, um, which I have talked about at length at times and it was really bad. But anyway, so I thought, okay, how regular is it? for a team, for a team to walk, or for the Cardinals, not for a team, I wasn't going to go through every team, but for the Cardinals to walk 10 or more men in a season. So I went through baseball reference. I don't have a stat head collection like you do. You probably could have done this in like you know, 10 minutes. I did a lot of clicking and over and, but you know, I didn't oh, have anything wow. else yeah. to do. Yeah. Um, and it, it, and uh, so I've sorted this out. The Cardinals have had done it twice this year. So I thought, okay, what was the last time they had a full year more than two? It's not actually that far back. 2018, they did it five times, um, which surprised me. Um, you know, that being said, the Cardinals are on a pace for eight. So I thought, well, have they ever done it more than five times? I went back to 1940. They have never walked 10 or more, more than five times. Um, they've done it. They've done that three times. Uh, in, but never more than five games in a year. So, okay, we're good there. So I thought, okay, let's look back and see when was the last time they walked. Cause the high of this year is 12. I think when was the last time they walked more than 12 in a game? You got to go back to 2004 to find a game like that, um, where they walked 13 against the reds. In a game, they won I, eleven I, I, to ten. I was about to say, please tell me they won. They did win this, and this is this is you know two thousand and four is is seventeen years ago, which is oh that hurts, um, but it, a slightly probably different approach to things. Jeff Supon started that game, uh-huh. went four and two thirds, and walked ten batters. <sighs> I don't know that anybody stays in to walk 10 batters these days. Do you think maybe someone on the white Sox does? Well, that's true. <laughs> that's, that's, I guess that's a possibility. Uh, yeah. He walked 10. Uh, then you had uh, a couple of guys didn't walk any. Then Kiko Calero, Ray Klein, and of course, Jason Isringhausen walked um, two more as the, as the, but they did, they won that game. So then I thought, okay, let's go back. 2003, they walked 16 batters in a game. But that was against the Marlins. It was 20, 20 innings, and they won that game, seven to six. Oh, so twenty innings—that's a little. Di- yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was a couple times, like the the most recent time I think was in uh in you know in nineteen I think was an extra inning game. They actually had two such of those games in eighteen. When I was talking about, they walked five. They had five different games. Mm-hmm. They had back to back ten walk games against the Nationals uh, in eighteen. Um, I was which, probably at those games if it was. Uh, you probably were right? because they were at Washington. So probably uh, let's see, it looks like yeah. uh, September, even September third and fourth, right around Labor Day. So 2018. I'm trying to remember the, that series. Um, I'm. I, I always go with there. I'm almost positive I was at those games. Um, I don't remember them very well off the top of my head right now, which is uh, not not typically like me. Um, so give me a second and I, I, I will remember those games, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure I was at at least one of those games. So again, I, I went back a little bit farther and the highest that 16 in 20 innings in 2003 kind of stood up until 1994 okay. where the Cardinals walked again, 16, but in a regular game, regular nine inning game, uh-huh. uh, actually, eight innings because they were on the road in Colorado. <laughs> if there's any place you don't want to walk 16 batters, it is in Colorado. Um, 
unsurprisingly, the Cardinals lost that game, fifteen to four. I was about to ask how many runs in the. I, I can just see right now Vinny Castilla and Dante Bichette, uh, Galarraga, all just mm-hmm. cranking home runs. Um, uh, Galarraga hit two homers in that game, <laughs> yes, okay. and Bichette hit one as well. Actually, the game was not close, but the uh, Rockies scored six in the eighth, um, and in large part because of a man that I have no recollection of. I doubt you do either. A man by the name of Steve Dixon. Do you remember a Steve Dixon? I I do not. This is a Cardinals pitcher? A Cardinals pitcher in 1993 and 1994. And the reason you probably don't remember him is that he pitched in six games over those two seasons. A total of five innings pitched Mm -hmm. in his career, which already tells you something, I think. Ten hits. 16 earned runs, 13 walks, and three strikeouts for a career ERA of 28.8. <laughs> but his FIP well, was only 12.26, so he's a little bit unlucky. Well, <laughs> well, at least we know why he only had five innings yeah. pitch to his name. I always, uh, um, first off, those were some great uh, box score of yours. Uh, at yes. least some of them were that the... Uh, the Cardinals off day podcast could steal um, or I, I guess w- they could keep coming up with these very good ideas and we can keep stealing their ideas actually. Uh, since we just went over some good box scores kind of, um, mm-hmm. but I always thought it was unfair when like a, and I have a, a personal example. I, I grew up next to a family uh, called the Lindstrom's. Uh, you maybe have heard the name Fred Lindstrom. Um, I think so. He's in the Baseball Hall of Fame, and mm-hmm. he is—he was—he's was a very good player, but he's also kind of widely regarded as one of the worst players in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, yeah, right. just because he—he didn't play very long. He doesn't—he didn't—he didn't have a—he—he he played for like the uh, Philadelphia, like way back in the day. He's like one of those veteran committee guys. No, I think he nope. actually got in. Um, I'm going to have to look this up right now while I'm telling the rest of the story. But anyway, he had a son named Chuck Lindstrom, who still holds the record for all-time uh, OPS in, in all of baseball. Um, but he only had two plate appearances. But, <laughs> but he retired with a 4.000 um, OPS. He, he, um, he walked and he hit a triple in those two plate appearances in 1958. <laughs> this was Fred Lindstrom's son, Chuck. And he, yeah, he, uh, his family grew up two, two houses down from my family. And I always remember hearing this story and I remember thinking, well, that's not fair. Like, <laughs> w- why did he only get two plate appearances? You know, we didn't call them plate appearances back then, but right. well, why did he only get two at bats in, in the majors? If he never even got out, that just doesn't seem fair. Now, obviously, during spring training or whatever, they knew, you know, a guy, a player is not made by two plate appearances. They, they, knew, <laughs> they knew way more about him than I did. But I still thought it was completely unfair. There should be a rule that says you are not allowed to be cut from baseball until you at least make one out. <laughs> That's that. I, I agree. There, I, there's not too many like that. Yeah, to, yeah. If you're that so, worried about it, but, don't worry. The guy yeah. who you don't think is good and you're dying to cut will probably make that out pretty soon. But yeah. if I'm commissioner for a day, that that's the rule. That's the rule I'm putting in. And um, I'm going to look up Fred Linsom right now, just so I can. Tell well, you, you do that because I got a couple of more things to go along oh, with this oh, double digit. Sorry, thing, I didn't so. mean. Yeah, I, no, I you know that's up. fine. Yeah, go ahead. I like that, but um, I. I went all the way back to. I know you like to go to 1942 when you're doing a lot. You should of go for, 47, just because that's 47. When Jackie yeah. Robinson entered the yeah. league. Yeah, I, I think of 42 because he wore 42, and not that. But anyway, so but I went back because I was doing this by decades. I went all the way back to 1940. Um, the Cardinals in the 1960s, which is not surprising. It's the 1960s. I, I don't think you're going to be surprised about this. The Cardinals in that whole entire decade had three games that they walked 10 or more batters, mm-hmm. um, which again, we've already walked two. That is easily the lowest of any of those decades. The next decade, the 1970s, uh-huh. they had 25 of such games, um, which is easily the highest yeah. of any of these decades. I, I don't know if it's because the mound shift was in there, you know, at, you know, at 69 right, and, it, but... 
that that had to be part of it. So, um, and also they have out of those eighty-two seasons, thirty times they have not walked ten or more, um, and in fact, only fifteen of them have they walked more than two. So, if the Cardinals have another ten walk game or more, they're going to kind of start getting into some hallowed ground, if you will. Well, what's what's interesting about those stats you rattled off and. I have mistakenly thought this before as well, but a lot of people think because we talk so much about the three true outcomes right now, um, Mm -hmm. Homer strikes walks. A lot of people think that walks have steadily increased in recent years as home runs and strikeouts have. And that's really not the case. The walk rate has remained somewhat steady um, as compared to home runs and, um, and strikeouts. So, that is interesting to see that big decade shift from the 60s and 70s, although, like you said, it could a lot of that could be placed upon the, the mound thing. It also could be because the Cardinals stunk in the 70s. Also true. Very, <laughs> that, you know, once Bob Gibson was no longer uh, Bob Gibson, that kind of stunk by their well. standards. They were, actually weren't that. I, I think I looked one time, they actually had a winning record in the 70s, but you really? Know, you can have a winning record in a decade and still never make the playoffs back then when, you know, yeah. only. Only four teams made it. Yeah, I kind of thought the same thing because I was looking at back. I was kind of working my way back, and it was like the 2000s had 15, and the 90s had 10, and in the early 80s they were having low, and I thought, okay, well, maybe that's, you know, yeah, they were throwing strikes. They were, you know, letting their fielders hit and, you know, used, you know, all that kind of stuff, and then, yeah, hit the 70s and 25. So, nope, that did kind of throw that out. I may be thinking of the the 90s when the Cardinals had a winning record. Um but it's one it's one of those decades that you might think like think that would not be the yeah. case. Although, you know, nineties, they they you know, it seems like from every year from like ninety two to you know, ninety two to ninety four they they won between like eighty four and eighty seven games. Yeah. And obviously ninety six they, you know, won what, eighty eight or eighty nine. So I guess that wouldn't surprise most people about the nineties. I will Yeah, they were you, probably close. Seventies what they had I think seventy two was really the, the big year. I don't know. I was born halfway through, so I didn't. I don't. I'm fair to say I don't. Well, know. I wasn't born for nine years later after that. So, or what am I talking about? Seven years. One of these that. days, I'm going to do a podcast with somebody older than me. I know that. I am. <laughs> Who would that be? Um, the Medlock's not that much different than me, but um, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't well, know. Well, I, I'll, I will tell you, you were right about Freddie Lindstrom. Uh, he was voted in by the uh, Veterans Committee in 1976. Ah. He played from 1924 till until 1936, mostly with the New York Giants, um, and he he led the league in hits in 1928 with 231. Um, oh, he also led the league in he got caught stealing 21 times and wow. only stole 15 bases. So that's not good. But there you go. That's there we are. Cool. Um, I didn't. I didn't. You were actually done this time, right? I didn't interrupt. I am. I I have rattled off as many arcane (laughs) and boring stats as I have with me. Okay. Well, thank you for that. That was a a great trip of the week as always. And thank you for joining me, uh, especially on short notice. And uh, not only thank you for joining me, but as I said, Tara's out and she definitely did not want to hand the car keys over to me. Um, So Daniel is actually not only going to be a guest while at least once while Tara's out but he's also helping me edit the podcast and by helping edit I mean he's doing all of it so and by edit we mean just basically downloading stuff and <laughs> putting some music on it so. yes yes that as well but that's still more than I know how to do <laughs> I guess um so thank you for that um tell us about your new uh Substack, uh um twitter all that well, the Twitter's at C70, you know, and, and pretty much everything that I do flows through that. And of course, we've got the blog at the Conclave, which is where most of the writing is. But I did, after, you know, Ben and Ben uh, started theirs with and using Substack, I thought I'd check it out. And I've kind of started putting up series previews over there and occasional other things. I wrote about the Springfield game that I watched. Um, I... Um, harassed people with star Wars movies titles that tied to the Cardinals, um, around, uh, May the 4th, um, just random things that might get there. And so if you're interested, you can go over to, uh, cardinal70.substack.com sign up. It'll get dropped into your, your, um, mailbox. Anytime I publish anything over there. And I really tried to do the seasons, the 
series previews uh, over there. And it's been kind of fun just to have a a little uh, extra place to throw a few things up at. It's very good. I am a subscriber and I look forward to uh, it popping into my inbox um, almost every day. Um, I'm, I'm impressed with how uh, how much content you have been churning out. And I, I want to read something from today's that uh, made me laugh um, because I know it was said in earnest. And I, I, at first I was like, is he being serious? I was like, oh, he's absolutely being serious. Um, <laughs> You you have a section. Um, it's it's almost all about baseball, but then at the end you get into kind of like a little more personal stuff, and you're like, what you're currently reading, and you're reading a current Star Wars book, um, mm. which you're finding a little. It sounds like it'd be a better Star Wars book for someone like me to read, and not an expert like you are. Is like it sounds like more like a uh, Cliff Notes version, or like I think you described it as a Wikipedia. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's almost like novelization of the main points of the movies, um, you know, but yeah, not a whole lot of extra. Well, here's the part that made me laugh. Um, towards the end you have, um, I've not been overly impressed, however, or though it still has me wanting an autobiography of R2D2 showing his point of view through everything. Um, that was a, a legit comment, right? You want to read an autobiography of R2D2. Absolutely. I have even toyed around with how you would approach that because I mean, R2 spans everything, right? I mean, and, and granted he doesn't get to talk at this thing, but to, to have him, you know, with this idea of what R2 is thinking as much of a droid can, when he runs into Luke, when he runs into Obi-Wan again, um, you know, all these connections that we kind of uses, you know, we kind of justify and how things are going, but R2's lived this whole process. I think it would be very interesting to see it all from his point of view with the connections that he has. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> and I, I, sh- I should note that uh, I am watching both Star Wars, Clone Wars, and Star Wars Rebels right now, the series on Disney+. Plus. And every once in a while, I pop into uh, your DMs and ask you a question about about it. So I, I'm not trying to act like I'm above all this at all. Uh, I love Star Wars, um, but I, I definitely have not ever said I could really get R2-D2's perspective on this by reading his whole book. Um, not, not something I've ever that's ever popped in my head, but I think it's hilarious. I, it's popped into yours. I am in my own special level of nerd. I, <laughs> I know this, so it's okay. Well, again, thank you so much for joining me. Always appreciate it. And uh, I'm gonna give one last update on the score. Still five two Cardinals. So let's go Cardinals. Beat the Pirates, and let's take it. Home. Bye everyone. <laughs>